Thanks for joining us today here on Brit David Podcast as Pastor Tim brings us the conclusion to his message, Marital Terrorism, from Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Marriage God's way may not be easy, but it is blessed. It is easier to build a home with his blessing than it is to fight God and try to hold on in your own strength. The prophet Malachi has some straightforward news about God's feelings on this subject. Here's Pastor Tim. All right, so speaking of culture, that's number next. I don't even know what we're on. Number four, maybe? Culture has dealt treacherously in marriage because Glad is not alone. They're not alone in trying and wishing to see the culture change. We hear and see that expression from culture's spokesperson. Who is that? It's television. Television doesn't just reflect culture anymore. Instead, it attempts to be on the cutting edge that might shape our culture. So what does television say about marriage? Well, you can forget about the days of Leave it to Beaver or the Donna Reed show or Father Knows Best. Instead, you're going to find shows like Modern Family, Million Little Things, This Is Us, those kinds of shows where traditional marriage is out and caricatures are in. Even shows that are supposed to highlight and advance, they would say, marriage, fail to do that. Shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. For 47 seasons, they have been on these episodes. And out of those 47 seasons, nine couples have gotten married in the process. You know, there's, there's one winner that gets chosen, if you call it that. But when it gets down to three, they offer them a night in the fantasy suite where no cameras are, and finally they have an evening of privacy. There's been one bachelor along, along the way who said that he would not use that fantasy suite for premarital sex. Instead, he wanted simply to talk to them, and in everything that's been said beyond that, not only by him but by others, he stayed true to that. But that's not the usual case. One of the former bachelorettes confirmed that sex is the object for the evening, both for the producers and for the contestants. She wrote and said, if you're not having sex, you're probably not getting chosen. We can understand that, can't we? There's another show that's on called Love at First Sight, where the very first time that these couples meet is when they come to the altar and they enter into a legal binding marriage covenant with one another. Now, they got a little bit better percentage than The Bachelor, but not a whole lot. They've had 13 couples that have made it through, the, through these times. But television attempts to normalize for us something that is not normal, something that is perverted, something that is tainted, something that would look and say, well, well, nobody has a perfect marriage, so if nobody has a perfect marriage, then let's highlight what we think marriage ought to be and ought to have. The thoughts and the feelings about marriage have changed drastically because of where our culture is. Let me keep going. The courts. The courts have dealt treacherously in marriage. 
1971, two men took their case to Minnesota Supreme Court and they struck down their challenge of the state's laws that recognized only heterosexual marriages. That was 1971. Mentioned to you in 2015, now every state allows for homosexual marriages. And whoever, whoever it is that, um, that puts that together. But it's not just the the courts acting treacherously in regard to homosexual marriage, but also attacking heterosexual traditional marriage. For years, it's the local courts who have issued those divorces. It's an undermining of marriage that's on attack. It, It attacks the duration of marriage that Jesus set forth. And it absolutely neglects what Jesus says, or what the Bible says here in verse number 16, that God hates divorce. Instead, what we find is not having to prove infidelity or abuse anymore. Instead, now the courts recognize no-fault divorces. Attorneys will even advertise on billboards for that and begin to rake in client after client who just simply want out and don't want to admit fault or wrongdoing or giving any kind of reason. In 1969, California was the very first state to adopt that law. By 1977, only eight other states had followed. Today, every state has that. The courts have. All right, it's time for us to start squirming. Because next in line are churches. Churches have dealt treacherously in marriage. It's not just the LGBTs community's fault or our society or our courts or Congress or city councils or anybody like that. Our churches play a role in this too. God has designed marriage to take place under the authority of the local church. And yet we have abdicated that authority to probate courts, to justices of the peace, to drive-by chapels, to even leave it up to couples themselves who want to get married on the internet. You remember when vows used to contain the the phrase before God and these witnesses? We seem to have left God out of it now altogether. By the way, do you remember when the preacher used to say or ask, if there be anyone here who objects to this marriage, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Now, if if you're a Hallmark Channel watcher, then you know that's the cue for the old boyfriend to come in and declare his love. That is not why the question was asked. It was because marriage took place under the authority of the church. And the church was the one that would be able to say, you know what, I know something about this person. and They shouldn't be getting married. It was for the church to be able to say, and yet now we've taken that out altogether because we don't want to offend anybody. It's just one of those ways that churches deal treacherously as well. The ceremonies deal treacherously in marriage. I mean, yeah, you want the the service to be beautiful, uh, but the wedding has become far more about the ceremony than it has the marriage. Spend thousands of dollars on a 20-minute service and a big, great big party afterwards and not spend any time at all planning what the next 50 years are going to look like. 
We're not not concerned about that. We're concerned more about what our friends think and what they, where they're going to go and what their experience is going to be. It's not trendy anymore to go to your church, to stand before your church family, to have your pastor uh, lead those vows over you. We'd rather have a beach or a barn or a backyard, wherever I can put my personalized stamp on it, something that nobody else will do. Let me say this too. I think one of the things, one of the disservices that we do is allowing couples to write their own vows. It's like making up the rules of the game the way that you want to play them before you play or in the middle of playing. It's not for you to make up the rules. It's for God to make up those. It's for you to yield and bend to what His authority is and that your vows are under them. Now, if they want to speak to one another, if they want to write something special to one another, I don't see any problem with that. But I do see a problem with them writing vows of their own making. Let me keep going. We're not through. It's Christians. Christians have dealt treacherously in marriage. It's not just the outside world, not just the unbelievers, or those who don't share our traditional views. We can be underminers as well. Because our views on marriage have changed. Our views on who can be married is changed. Our views on how long a marriage should last have changed. Our views on what God's purpose or what the couple's purpose is has changed as well. Just look at the United Methodist Church. And by the way, look back through history. Southern Baptists are usually 15 to 20 years behind or in front of, however you want to look at that, the Methodist. So what they have been through, we're going to go through. And you just wonder where we're going to stand when it comes to that. Christians have stopped setting the example of what it means to be different in our culture. And as such, then we deal treacherously. All right, it's my turn. (laughs) The clergy have dealt treacherously in marriage. The clergymen, us preachers, sometimes we played an improper role in trying to undermine marriage. First of all, we don't stick to our guns. The Bible says that that a believer should not be married to an unbeliever, that they should not be unequally yoked. And yet, for whatever reason, sometimes we just marry them anyway. For lack of conflict, for payment, for services, whatever it is. It does take a lot of time to adequately counsel a young couple. And you do wonder sometimes if what you're saying matters to them at all. But to point them in the direction that their relationship with God is first and has to be first. Their relationship with one another is going to be the overflow of their relationship with God. If they don't love Him the way that they're supposed to, they're never going to be able to love one another the way that they're supposed to. And so sometimes we preachers have just stopped preaching uh, sermons like this, on marriage, on divorce, saying, thus says the Lord. You know, I mean, I don't want anybody to be mad at me, you know. I'm (laughs) likable. But I also know where this hits. And it hits almost everybody at some point to say that we have, we've messed up. And we need to get back to doing the things that are right. By the way, 
Preachers also don't practice what they preach. You know, sometimes it's the PW, the preacher's wife, who suffers the verbal, emotional, sometimes the physical abuse that her husband can dish out. And the PKs, the preacher's kids, they'll suffer too. They'll, they'll fear the man that it seems like everybody at church loves. The Bible says if he can't rule his own household well, then he's not fit to be the pastor of any kind of church. By the way, your passage tonight is directly delivered to the priests. It's the priests who were divorcing their wives. It was the priests who were treating them treacherously. It was the priests who were the main culprits of this provoking change, of this undermining of what God had said. And that just simply has to stop. All right, let's keep going. I said I had four actions for you. I will tell you the next three aren't quite as long as number one, but we got a long way to go. Number two, underminers profane the covenant. They profane the covenant. Look at what he says there in, uh, in, the, in verse number 11, kind of in the middle of that. He says, Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. And then mine has a, has a little colon, semicolon right there. This says, he has married the daughter of a foreign god. He's undermined it. He's undermined what, uh, what God's covenant was supposed to be by profaning it. In verse number 10, he tells us that, but in verses 12 and 13, or verses 11 and 12, is where he gets into the detail of what that's like to corrupt and to defile and to pollute this. He says it's the Lord's holy institution which he loves by simply inserting a foreign God into that relationship. And if you'll notice this phrase in the middle of verse number 12, he's doing this while he is awake and aware. He knows. He knows what God's purpose is. And simply refuses to fall in line with that. Marriage is supposed to be an expression of the holiness of God. Honorable and undefiled. Our marriages are to be holy because God is holy. Our marriages are to be honorable because God is honorable. The Bible says that, that marriage belongs to God. Did you notice it in verse number 11? It is the Lord's. But marriage also bears the likeness of God. He says it is the Lord's holy institution. And marriage is beloved by God. He says this is something that he loves. So my view is supposed to be God-sided, not self-centered. Marriage is supposed to be an expression of holiness. Marriage is supposed to be an expression of happiness. Sometimes people think that happiness will lead a person to holiness, but that's exactly backwards. If you'll live a holy life, it'll lead you to a happy life. If you will lead a holy life, you'll be happier than you could ever, ever imagine. I want to keep going. Marriage is also supposed to be an example of honor. That embodied mystery. That in Ephesians chapter number 5, when, when God gets ready to describe what the relationship between believers and Christ is like, He picks out marriage and says the relationship between a husband and wife is what the relationship between Jesus and His church is supposed to be like. So for them to introduce a foreign God profanes that covenant that God had set for them. Number three, 
underminers persecute their companions. They not only, they not only profane the covenant in some kind of idealistic way, but they persecute their very companions in a very physical, real, and literal way. And that's what you begin to see in these next few verses. Beginning in verse number 13, when he talks about you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying. Some families suffer depression because of what they go through. I mean, because of how the priest would would simply treat their wives, writing them off with this certificate of divorce, simply because they desired somebody else. It would drive those wives to the altar. And what did they cover the altar with? With their tears, with weeping, and with crying. And the children also, by the way, I want to tell you something. If I ever hear another person say that children are not affected, that children are resilient, and they'll just simply bounce back because of the parents' uh, decisions. I'm going to choke somebody because <laughs> that's wrong. It's wrong. Some families suffer depression. Some families suffer doubt. You know, they're asking this question, for what reason? Why? Why would you do this? They're, they're asking these priest husbands of theirs, why would you do this? God, why would you do this? Why would you not receive our offering? We're, we're trying to give you offering. Why would you not receive it? He says, because you've dealt treacherously. You've acted deceitfully. It's, by, it's like setting someone up to trust you and then yanking the rug right out from under them. That's a difficult place to be, isn't it? Some families suffer damage. It's not just damage control. It wipes, it wipes its way through a family like a tornado. And in the same way that that tornado live, leaves its damage that is obvious for years that follow, same thing is true with these families that suffer this way. And then some families suffer divorce. The undermining of marriage itself. And God says it specifically, doesn't He? That He hates it. He hates it. Listen, I want to tell you something. I, I don't... I don't know how you get around that, you know. I, I know that there have been plenty of people who have, and I've been there too, trying to explain away different things, but, but you can't get past that one. So what are you supposed to do? Same thing that you do with any other sin, with any other thing that God hates. You repent. You repent from that and turn from that. Receive His forgiveness. If restoration is possible, then you make it happen. If not, you move forward. You make sure that your life glorifies God. That's what He wants. Glory for Himself. So can God bless with His glory a, a second marriage, a remarriage? Of course He can. Of course He can. Everybody makes a mistake somewhere along the way in their life and they're given a second chance. For many of this is simply a second chance to do right the second time what they were not able to do right the first time. Is God not honored and glorified in that? Absolutely, He is. But listen, no matter where I am in that, until I surrender to the plan and the purpose of God, He is not going to be able to bless my marriage or any marriage, which simply pretends to be something that it's not. Let me give you one more. 
underminers should be prevented from continuing. All of these things that we listed, we said these are things that attempt to undermine God's plan for marriage. Well, who's going to stop that? We're supposed to stop that. Notice he says in verse number 15, didn't he make them one, and depending on your translation, this is one of the most difficult portions of Scripture to be able to uh, translate. This is how New King James treats it. Didn't he make them one? Didn't he make you one? Why would he do that having a remnant of the Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit in each one of them. Why does he do that? He asks. Because he seeks godly offspring. It's your children. Who are your children going to look to when their turn comes? What kind of man or what kind of woman are they looking for? If you've done your job, then they should look for somebody just like you. Just like you. And if I'm not that kind of example, I need to start being that kind of an example. And so what am I supposed to do to make sure that I get off of this path of undermining and try to get back into what God has said? Let me give you these three things very quickly. He says, take heed to your spirit. In fact, verse 16 and verse verse 15 and verse 16 are remarkably similar to what he has to say. And he says, take heed twice to your spirit, which tells me this, surrender to the will of God. Surrender to the will of God. You need to guard your heart. And guard your spirit from those things that will attempt to undermine it in your life. It means I surrender myself, surrender my life, surrender my future, surrender my beliefs, surrender my thoughts, surrender my agenda, surrender my desires to the will of God. And anything that's outside of His will just simply does not fit. His will for marriage is clearly stated in these verses. And I have to be willing to surrender to that. It's my job to yield to him, not his job to accommodate me. Number two. Number one is surrender to the will of God. Number two is to stand for the word of God. To stand for the word of God. It doesn't take a genius to recognize that marriage is under attack and families are under attack. And so you've got to be strong to stand, to be immovable with his strength. God's word is not going to change on this subject. Culture may change, church may change, all sorts of things may change, but God's Word will not change. No matter who disagrees, God's not going to change His mind. And so number three, stop the ways against God. Stop the ways against God. He keeps saying, therefore, let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth, Do not, he says, do not deal treacherously. Stop that terroristic behavior. Listen, the battle for same-sex marriage is not over. The battle uh, for heterosexual is not over. The, The battle against divorce is not over. Unhealthy marriages, that battle's not over. And it's an uphill battle for sure. But it's not a battle that can't be won. I may not be able to win whole society over to what I think. I I can't even win you over to what I think. But I can win my family. 
And that's where it starts. Stopping is up for us. So let's model what the world desperately needs to see and what God has made for us. He's made it beautiful. Let's keep it beautiful. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I don't know where you are in the midst of all of that. I I don't know whether you find yourself as one of those collaborators. I hope not. I would encourage you to make those changes that you need to in your own home and in your own life. But you know what you need to do far more than I do. Joshua said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. So you've got to decide for you and yours. Father, bless us now with the presence of your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to come to the altar, if I can help you, I'll try my best to do that. Okay, Sean? This year at Brit David, we would like to challenge you to join us in reading through the Bible in a year. This is a great and rewarding way to start your day. If you would like a copy of the reading plan, you can request a copy at churchoffice at brittdavid.org. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.